We have a call to worship. This is to set apart this time of worship before God. Of course, throughout the week, you can always stop in the middle of the day and give a quick prayer. Um, at lunchtime, maybe you can do some Bible reading. But God knows, as that's how he designed it, that we work throughout the week and we're busy. So he's given us the Lord's Day to rest our body and to rest our soul, and in public worship in particular, to focus our attention upon him, to put aside all distractions. And so we begin this with the call to worship. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. God above, we are thankful and grateful for bringing us here in your providence, Lord, and for bringing us back to normal. We ask, God, that we would be able to focus, that your spirit be upon us, especially this morning, God, to bless us and draw us nigh unto you and nigh unto each other. In your name alone we pray, as you taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power Glory forever. Amen. We now have the prayer of God's covenant community. Let us pray. This morning, God above, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorious three in one, you who created all things, Lord, and sustain all things, you who are above all creation, and there is no other God higher than you, Lord, and all things are beneath you and should submit to you and bow and worship you, God above. And yet, Lord, we feel our sins. We certainly struggle with our sins, God. Perhaps we have undue worry, unjust anger, doubt of your promises, or whatever else, Lord, in thought, word, and deed. May we repent of them. May we fight against them, God. Help us to be encouraged by the gospel promise, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness, that you are and have given us love and grace in the gospel and the promises of Jesus Christ, and that if we repent of our sins, Lord, yes, daily, Your mercies are new every morning, and you will forgive us of our sins through the blood and because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the basis of our church and all churches of like faith and practice. And so, God above, may we be encouraged by the gospel promise, Lord. May we be here this morning in worship, putting aside distractions, Lord, and being encouraged, God, that you are here and that you are guiding us in your providence, that you have given us guidance in the word of God, and that you've given us the church to show love and compassion and discipline in our lives, Lord. Help us to that end, God, to persevere and not be discouraged. Help uh, any of us, Lord, who are on the other end, God, who are uh, too quick to ignore our sins, uh, too quick, Lord, to be distracted by the world and take the church and the gospel for granted. Lord and Savior, we pray for this nation. We pray for our fellow citizens, God, for We love them in accordance to what used to be called patriotism, which is now considered hate. And Lord, because we do love them, we pray for them. We pray for the repentance, Lord. We pray for godly laws in this land and for the tearing down of wicked laws and harmful laws, especially, Lord, laws that kill innocent babies, Lord, and laws that hurt Christians and their livelihood and the churches of God. We pray for godly leaders, Lord, and barring that, which seems to be harder and harder to find these days, We pray for some kind of leaders, Lord, that will take up the mantle of their calling 
Unbelievers can do many good things, God, and we are thankful for that. We pray that they would do good things as leaders, and again, protect the fellow citizens from wicked laws, and especially the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray for, Lord, uh, the wickedness promulgated through Hollywood, through social media, uh, through TV and elsewhere, Lord, and books, that they would also fall upon their own traps, Lord, and ultimately, Lord, that they would repent of their wickedness, of coming after our families and our children, especially, Lord. Pray for your churches. We pray for our church, God, that we would continue to follow you and to love you, that we would acknowledge our sins, Lord, and strive to follow the life of sanctification, the life of holiness in accordance to your law. And we can do that, Lord, because we are saved and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. May we exercise that fruit, Lord, and not let it wither on the vine of our lives, but continue to have love and patience and kindness towards one another as we have a difficult journey in this life. We ask, Lord, for the poor and rich among us, the young and old, and all the differences that we have among us, God, not to be an obstacle, Lord, but rather we would have continued love and a focus upon what we have in common, which is Christ Jesus and the doctrines of the Bible, Lord, the teachings therein and the practices as well. For we are Christians, God. Yes, we are Americans, but we are also Christians, Lord, and Christians in this church. And we ask, God, that we would grow in unity as we have over the many years and grow stronger therein by the fruit of the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit. Lord God, we pray for our families. Continue to watch over them and protect them. We thank you, God, that you have guided them and protected them and warned them and instructed them and nurtured them, Lord, not only with themselves, but between the families and our church, God, and beneath the session. Help them, we pray, to grow in love and obedience, Lord, for the wives to submit to the husbands, for the husbands to love their wives and lead their family, Lord, even sacrificially. And the children will obey and continue to love their parents, God, especially in a day and age that looks down upon that and mocks it, Lord. And tells the children to rebel, tells the wife to rebel, tells the husband to rebel against his responsibilities. And so, God above, we pray as a church, that we will continue to pray for one another and our families, Lord, and our children, and for the singles and for the couples as well, God, that we are all here, we're all Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray this morning, to hear your word and to grow thereby. In your name alone we pray. We are in Hebrews chapter 9, a relevant text to a relevant topic of the Lord's Supper. Chapter 9, verse 26 and following. Many of you will recognize this verse. We're almost done with the book of Hebrews. I keep saying that. I get very close to it. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. And then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let us pray. With these words, God, may we see in summary fashion the benefits and the glories of the work and the person of Jesus Christ the benefits of the cross of Christ for our lives, the source of all the good gifts for our souls, Lord, and that we would be humbled and thankful, God, for such a gift as Jesus Christ and grow in our understanding of what he has done for us and therefore in our gratitude for that and our love. In your name alone we pray. Amen. The Lord's Supper is a time of celebration and meditation. We meditate upon the awesomeness of the death of Christ We celebrate his gift for us, celebrate to meditate upon it, 
is to have an understanding of, a, of, of this sacrifice of Christ Jesus as well. Not to do it in a mechanical fashion, but to do it with a faith that understands what is going on. What it means that Christ lived and died for us. What is the significance of that for the Christian? It's very significant, and the Lord's Supper represents that significance. And so I want to go over the benefits of the cross as it gives us redemption, broadly speaking. It gives us the fruit of the Spirit as the second point. And then thirdly, it gives us heaven. We have these outlines uh, in the bulletin for you. The Lord's Supper, we will have this morning, is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is God, through Christ Jesus, giving us salvation, bringing us into fellowship with him by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. It represents that. It's a sign and seal. A sign is a picture. It points to the blood of Christ with the wine, the body of Christ with the bread. Just like a picture of a lion can point to courage, and so these elements point to not just the body of Christ, but what it means that he broke his body, the significance of his death and the shedding of his blood. That's the sign element. It's a seal. That is, it is used by the Holy Spirit upon those who are believers and those alone to further strengthen their weak faith. If you struggle in your marriage... I know all of us have to one degree or another. One thing that helps you at times, perhaps, is looking at your ring and remembering that you're committed to your spouse. That ring is what? A sign, but also has a sealing effect upon your conscience. It strengthens your weak love. And so the Lord's Supper strengthens our weak faith as a visible sign of his invisible love for us. Seal. It's not magical. We don't believe this is the physical body of Christ nor the blood of Christ as such, but signs. But it does more than just a sign. It affects us and helps us grow as Christians. That's the sealing aspect, and that's important. And so when I go over the benefits of the redemption of Christ, those benefits are represented in the Lord's Supper to some degree, but are not in the Lord's Supper as such. But all Christians have them everywhere at all times. We don't have the Lord's Supper every day. Some churches believe that. Without the Lord's Supper, you don't really have Christ. You don't believe that at all. It's faith and faith alone that gives us union and therefore all the benefits of Christ Jesus. And so for the first point, the cross gives us redemption. The cross gives us redemption, a very broad category to be sure. What do I mean by the word redemption? To buy back is the most simplest idea of that. But of course, again, that's more of a metaphor. It wasn't as though God gave money to the devil or something. Language is against the backdrop of judgment and justice. And we see that here in this text. It talks about Christ and how he died once. He's not re-sacrificed all the time. Verse 26, we read, Once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the death of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The implication being what? If you have Christ Jesus, you won't have the judgment. There will be no judgment for you. Christ has taken that judgment, which is to say the issue of Christ and redemption, what is really going on when Christ came to earth for his people is he came to satisfy divine judgment or divine justice. 
For our God is a holy God, a consuming fire who will destroy the wicked. Read that over and over again. Even Christ gives warnings. When you add up all the topics of Christ, one of the topics he talks about very often is hell and judgment. Because it's a real thing and he came to deliver us from that. There is a need for justice. Of course, we saw that last year and even through this year, and I fear perhaps for the rest of our lives, it seems. Protests after protests about justice in society. People do get away with criminal activities and lying and murder and evil thoughts and hate toward one another in their hearts. The innocent receive no justice. People cry out for justice. This is a hard cry for everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, because that's how we were created. We know something's wrong with this world. There's lots of injustice. And yet we forget that as the world doesn't want to accept, and sometimes the churches forget, that we, outside of Christ, if we are not believers, we are rebels against God. This is why we need Jesus Christ, because justice cries out from heaven. We think we're concerned about justice. God is concerned about justice. And all of us will be judged if we do not believe in Jesus Christ. And that's what we get through the cross, is redemption. Deliverance from that judgment. That's the background. Justice and judgment. God is just. And he has exercised justice. He is not forgiving us willy-nilly. What does the text tell us? Christ would then have to suffer once since the foundation of the world. He had to keep dying, but he didn't. He died once. He appeared to put away sin by what? The sacrifice of himself. Specifically, verse 28. So Christ was offered what? Once to bear the sins of many. He took our judgment, brothers and sisters. Justice demanded that somebody be judged, punished, and sent to hell. That was everyone in Adam. All of us. Christ. Christ bore our sins, the sins of many, those who trust and believe in him. So God upheld justice, brothers and sisters. There is a real cry for justice, and the church needs to tell them in the world. There is the thing called justice, and God will give an account for those who will not repent and take Jesus, who took our judgment instead. That's what Christ did. He bore the sins. He bore the judgment. He bore Justice upon him. God did not annihilate and forget justice, but rather poured his wrath on Christ Jesus. And we see that in his death, in the breaking of his body, in the shedding of his blood. Redemption, broadly, of course, is satisfaction of divine justice through the work of Jesus Christ. But it's also reconciliation as well, which is more than just justice. It's bringing the broken parties back together again, brothers and sisters. God went further than just judging Jesus Christ and giving him all the wrath instead of us. But he brought us into his family. The judge of the universe took the rebels, us, and said, I'm going to adopt you. I'm not going to just satisfy justice, but I'm going to bring you in after satisfying justice and making you a member of my family. You are reconciled, brothers and sisters, to the judge of the universe. That is part and parcel of salvation and redemption. No more hatred of God and his ways. You are born again. You are learning to live as a child of the king instead of a pauper and a rebel in the gutters of life. Hard, I know. But we should be encouraged in the Lord's Supper that he did it for us in spite of our sins because he loves us 
Romans 5.10, we read, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. We were enemies, brothers and sisters, and we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice through God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So he's saying it's not just satisfaction of divine justice, but it's also reconciliation, bringing together two parties. Of course, it was never God who broke that fellowship. It was man, it was us. Nevertheless, God went across that chasm through Jesus Christ and brought us to his bosom. Redemption is also intercession. Now that you are no longer guilty, enemies of God, that guilt has been borne by Christ Jesus. Now that you are a child and a friend of God through reconciliation, you still need intercession because even as a child of God, what? You sin. You still struggle. You still have the old habits and ways of living like a child in the streets, or more precisely, a a criminal of many years, (laughs) criminal against God. We sin. And God's not going to throw us out on our ears. But Jesus Christ intercedes for us. Romans 8.34, but who has condemned us? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, he is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Covers our sins every day, brothers and sisters. And again, that's why when we come to the Lord's Supper, and we see many of these elements here in summary fashion. Christ dying for us. Christ's blood shed for us, and that blood is still for us. And the Lord's Supper reminds us it's for us every day for our lives because he intercedes for us. These are wonderful benefits of redemption, satisfaction of divine justice, reconciliation, intercession, that is not bringing the full punishment upon us even though we sin as his children. The Supper represents Christ's work in redemption and all these things for us. But even here we can dig into more details of the benefits of the cross, not just redemption in general, but secondly, the cross gives us the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are not things natural to those who are not saved. Because the fruit of the Spirit is with respect to God and the members of the church. Love, joy, patience, long-suffering, right? Sure, you have uh, unbelieving friends and family members, and they're very nice. They can be very long-suffering. But is it long-suffering because you're a family member? Good. Or is it because you're also a Christian? They don't care anything about Christ or the church or God. The object of their joy, the object of their long-suffering is not God and is not the church as such. Although I'm thankful they're long-suffering. The difference for us, brothers and sisters, is that the fruit of the Spirit comes from Him when we do it for God. In God's sake alone. One of the fruits of the Spirit, we don't think about it sometimes, I suppose, because the list is two or three times in the New Testament, right? It says the fruits of the Spirit are these. He's not saying these are the only fruit of the Spirit, and there are other passages, I won't go into those. The first fruit we need to remember is the fruit of obedience. When God adopted you into his royal family, when he redeemed you, reconciled you, and intercedes for you. He gave you the spotless clothing of Christ's righteousness, the Holy Spirit within you, that you would be more obedient. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, 
But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is a fruit of the Spirit. That is, it is the effect of the Spirit. It is from the Spirit that you love to be with God's people, that you love to read the Word of God, that you want to pray even in spite of the struggles that you have in your life because of the Spirit in you. You know, without that, you'd give up and go the way of the world. Fruit of the Spirit comes from the cross of Christ. Not from us, but from him. It's his love towards us. The fruit of the Spirit in particular, of course, we know that famous passage, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This, too, is a work of the Spirit, a benefit of the cross of Christ. Christ died for us. He didn't just satisfy divine wrath and bring us close to him in reconciliation. He also gave us gifts. I'm reading part of that list of gifts. He didn't have to give us gifts. He didn't have to save us. But he did. He did more. These gifts that we have that I know we struggle with at times, I know you wonder I don't know how much love I've shown to my spouse lately, perhaps, or to my child, or how much joy or peace I've had. These things come and go, to be sure, for no Christian is perfect. That's why Christ intercedes for us, even to this day. And yet they are real, and they are here in our lives, and we ought to thank the Lord that we have them, and that we are dissatisfied, unhappy, perhaps frustrated, when we're not exercising those fruits, because we know it's the right thing to do. We want to do it. And that's all the difference in the world. Think about it. The judge of your soul, finding you a guilty enemy, redeems you by Christ anyway, gives you the fruit of the Spirit, and promises you heaven. The third point. Above and beyond all that we ever needed was required of us. What was required is ultimately hell, as we know. The cross gives us heaven. Verse 20. Eight, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin or salvation. We were hoping that was last year. <laughs> the year that never ended. But Christ said no. He said, I want you to exercise more fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Patience and long-suffering. And so we must, and so we shall. The cross gives us heaven, not just redemption. Not just the fruit of the Spirit, it gives us heaven. And it reminds us again that Christ is the origin of our spiritual life, the origin of our salvation, the origin of heaven. We praise him and not praise ourselves or anything that we have done. You are saved and are being saved and will be saved. Something like what Tripp said, Elder Martin said this morning. We, are saved, we were saved, are saved, and are being saved. That is, our salvation, the fullness of it, we do not fully see yet. Like a child who's been given an inheritance, but he can't get it until he's 18 fully, but he's got a lot of the benefits before he's 18, right? Got a nice house. He gets a stipend every month. But the fullness of it isn't quite there until he's in adulthood. And we're in the same situation now, brothers and sisters. It's not as though the cross of Christ has come to no effect, that he's failed, but rather he says, this is going to take time. I'm working it out on purpose. He has his reasons, and you won't see the fullness of that inheritance until we are in heaven and fully matured. Right now, we're kind of like teenagers on earth. We get hot, we get cold, 
We have lots of strengths, lots of weaknesses. God knows this, and this life is a preparation for heaven that way in purifying us and making us more like him. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 is a reminder to trust in him and that Christ Jesus will accomplish what he has started on the cross. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, he has begun a good work in you who believe and repent, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There you have it. It's a lifelong process. Churches ought to be telling people, following Christ Jesus is a lifelong process. It's a commitment. It's not a golden ticket to be saved and all of a sudden your problems disappear. Sometimes your problems get worse, especially those problems that are coming after you. People, more as we are finding out in America, really don't like Christians. You being here right now and about to partake of the supper is one of the many evidences that God loves you. In his special providence, he has so guided and watched over his flock. We are here this morning that we can partake of this meal, a symbol of the redemption of Christ for us, a symbol of the benefits of the cross of Christ for us, and pointing to heaven ultimately when we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the picture in Revelation, right? This has a forward-looking element to it, not just looking to the past when Christ died and suffered there, but also points to the future. Christ said, I will not sup with you until I return. And that's the end of the age. And there's a new heaven and new earth. That's the heaven coming our way, brothers and sisters. Christ will finish his work in us. And here and now, we are given the Lord's Supper until that time comes. To point that way and to encourage our weak faith. The Lord's Supper is a time of meditation and contemplation, but also a celebration. Rejoice that you are redeemed. Rejoice that you have the fruit of the Spirit. Rejoice that you are on your way to heaven. You will be fully equipped to enjoy heaven. In Job 14, 2, we read, In my father's house, or John, excuse me, in my father's house are many mansions, but we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Christ is not a liar. Let not your heart be troubled with discord from within and from without. Look to the future with hope. Look to the future with joy. The Lord's Supper points that way, that Christ, what he has begun, will be accomplished the day he returns. Christ is coming and bringing heaven with him, brothers and sisters. As you partake of the supper together, contemplate the benefits given to you by the cross of Christ, the benefits of redemption from sin and misery, the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit, and the benefits of heaven with God forevermore. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, God above, may we be strengthened in our weak faith. May, Lord, we exercise repentance here and now if need be. And, Lord, may we continue to trust and follow you no matter what. By your grace and spirit, Lord, we pray for more mercy and more compassion and more power. In your name alone we pray. Amen.